Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, we're, we're going to read the entire chapter again, even though we went through the first half of it last week, but I think it'll be beneficial. This is Joshua's farewell address. So he kind of has more than one, like a, like a lot of musicians nowadays. When they announce their farewell tour, it seems they have multiple. Joshua chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. It says, And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacre, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood, and led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his seed, and gave him Isaac. And I gave unto Isaac Jacob and Esau, and I gave unto Esau Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. And I sent Moses also and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to that which I did among them, and afterward I brought you out. And I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came unto the sea, and the Egyptians pursued after your fathers with chariots and horsemen unto the Red Sea. And when they cried unto the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and brought the sea upon them, and covered them, and your eyes have seen what I have done in Egypt, and ye dwelt in the wilderness a long season." And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, which dwelt on the other side Jordan, and they fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them from before you. Then Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and warred against Israel, and sent and called Balaam the son of Beor to curse you. But I would not hearken unto Balaam, therefore he blessed you still, so I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over Jordan, and came unto Jericho, and the men of Jericho fought against you the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I delivered them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, even the two kings of the Amorites, but not with thy sword nor with thy bow. And I have given you a land for which ye did not labor, and cities which ye built not, and ye dwell in them, of the vineyards and olive yards which ye planted not do ye eat." Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and which did those great signs in our sight, and preserved us, all, and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. And therefore will we also serve the Lord, for He is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then He will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that He hath done you good. 
The people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. And Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God, and took a great stone, and set it up there under an oak, and was by the sanctuary of the Lord, that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, every man unto his inheritance. It came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath Sarah, which is in Mount Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua, and which had known all the works of the Lord that he had done for Israel. And the bones of Joseph, which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem, in a parcel of ground which Jacob bought of the sons of Hamer, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver. And it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eleazar the son of Aaron died, and they buried him in a hill that pertained to Phinehas his son, which was given him in Mount Ephraim. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. And Lord, I ask that we would appreciate just how powerful it is that you would reveal to us uh, your power, Lord, and uh, just help us to never doubt your faithfulness, never doubt that you do keep your promises. And we ask your blessing on this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we left off with verse 15 last week, and I just want to make a couple of more comments about verse 15 before we, we move on to the response of the people in verse number 16. Joshua has told them in verse 15, he says, they will serve somebody. Um, indifference is not an option. Many people believe it is, but he says you are going to serve someone. You are going to serve either the Lord or you're going to serve the gods of Abraham's ancestors on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites and the Canaanites that are now living in the land. Uh, essentially, he says you're going to be slaves to somebody. You're going to be slaves to the Lord or you're going to be slaves to sin. And, you know, that's true of us today. Many of us don't want to admit that. Many Many people who claim to be atheists would never admit to being slaves to sin. Also, we see in verse 15 that Joshua emphasizes the urgency of the decision. He says, choose you this day whom you will serve. And, you know, that's very familiar with, that's very consistent with the challenge that Elijah made to the people after all of the prophets of Baal were destroyed. He said, how long will you halt between two opinions? Elijah was doing the same thing as Joshua there. He was pressing them to make a decision, no longer putting it off. And in verse 16, we do see the, the response of the people. It says, and the people answered. And they say, God forbid, perish the thought. They, they, cannot, they cannot imagine 
that their response would be anything other than that we will serve the Lord. And, and certainly that was the response that Joshua intended them to have, that he hoped that they would have. They declare that they are wholly dedicated to the Lord, to the one true God. For most people, words come easy, uh, but translating those words into action is, is a lot more difficult. We should be very careful about affirming things that we do not mean. This covenant that Joshua is essentially having them renew, the, the pattern here in chapter 24 is consistent with, it bears all the marks of a typical covenant of that day. If you, if you kind of break down chapter 24, verse 2 was really the introduction of the parties involved in the covenant. Verses 2 through 13 are the historical significance surrounding the covenant. And verse 14 and 15 are the stipulations of the covenant. And then here in verses 16 through 25, we have the ratification of the covenant. And specifically in verses 19 and 20, the sanctions or the consequences of breaking the covenant. And then finally in verse 26, the finalization of the covenant. And verse 27, the witnesses of the covenant. And I've heard a lot about covenants this week. I, I noticed as I'm watching the news and reading the paper that the, the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers, Donald Sterling, has been told that he has violated the covenant that he, that he agreed to with the NBA. And so they are, they are, they are intent on exercising the, the stipulations of that covenant. They are looking to have him removed from participation in the NBA. We, attempt to honor covenants today the same way that they did then. We take them very seriously, as we should. The people in verse 17, they are very sincere. And they say, notice how how they start their response, for the Lord our God. They don't just merely say the Lord or God. They, they, They proclaim Him as their own. Our God, our Lord. And sometimes we should be very uh, observant about our own terminology when we talk about the Lord or whether we, when we talk about God. Is he, is he merely someone else's God or is He our God? And they take, they take Him as their own. They, I believe they're very sincere in their response. And in verse 17, they are stating that they agree with all that Joshua had said. Joshua had given a long list in, in the preceding verses, verses 2 through 13, of all of the things that the Lord had done for them. And they essentially confirmed that. They agree. They said, yes, you're right, Joshua. The Lord has delivered us. He has blessed us. He has protected us. He has prospered us. He has done all those things. And so their response is what Joshua had hoped their response would be. That's what really the word therefore means in verse 14. Joshua was saying, Therefore, after all that God has done for you, can you really imagine that there would be any other response than to agree to serve Him? And they, in verse 18 here, they conclude, they say, yes, the Lord has done it all. They, they understand that they have no, no business or no reason, to, no reason to take the credit for any of the accomplishments. The Lord has done it all. He has proven Himself faithful. In Malachi 3.10, the Lord says, Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. And we're all familiar with that. Most of us, I'm sure, are familiar with that passage with regard to, to giving. But the Lord asks people to prove Him. God is not afraid of being put to the test. Uh, 
And I, I don't mean that in any way in an irreverent way, as, as if we wield some authority over the Lord. But, but that's what God wants. He wants us to prove Him. He wants us to test Him. He wants us to evaluate His faithfulness. And obviously, He wants us to come to the conclusion that these people have come to, that God is faithful, that He will keep His question, that He will keep His promise. So it's not wrong for us to ask the question, is God faithful? Is God, does God keep His promises? Uh, we, we better come to the right conclusion. We better have the right answer. And, and that's what the Lord wants. He wants us to, to wholeheartedly agree emphatically that He does, that He is faithful. In verse 18 here, they say that they will serve the Lord. And, you know, serve means to do what someone else asks. Um, that's what they're agreeing to. And, you know, they... You know, the good thing about serving the Lord is He's never going to ask us to do something we shouldn't. You know, when we serve our earthly masters, maybe some of us have been in uncomfortable situations at work where our employer or our boss has asked us to do something that we are not very comfortable with. We can rest assured that the Lord is never going to ask us to do something that we that we are uncomfortable with. He's never going to ask us to do something that would be categorized as sin. Notice there at the end of verse number 18, they end their, they end their initial response the same way they, that we began verse 17. For the Lord is our God. Again, taking, uh, making this very personal among them. In verse number 19, Joshua, in a sense, interrupts them. Um, at first glance, these words seem a little bit startling. Joshua says, you cannot serve the Lord. I don't think Joshua's being sarcastic. He's not being facetious. He, this is a very serious matter. Uh, this, is, you know, this, this isn't a joke. And you know, I think what he's saying here is, you're overconfident. Do you really understand how demanding the Lord is? God is a... Holy God. God demands total dedication, total allegiance. That's what He had outlined to them in verses 14 and 15. And when He says, He will not forgive your sins, Joshua is not saying that the Lord doesn't forgive sins. I think really the point there is He's saying that they can push Him too far. He goes on to say that the Lord will consume them if they choose to serve other gods. Uh, they they are not the notion that they're always going to 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 experience God's mercy and get a second chance. It doesn't work that way. God is very merciful. We get many chances, but that doesn't mean we should ever presume that we'll get another. Joshua wants to make sure that they count the cost. We're all familiar with the story of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19 and Mark chapter 10 and in Luke 18. And all three of those stories, all three of those accounts tell the same account that the rich young ruler went away grieved and very sorrowful because, you know, Jesus told him that total dedication to the Lord included everything, even his money. And that was something that he wasn't, he wasn't willing to, to part with. And, you know, it would be very easy for us to criticize the rich young ruler. But one thing we can say about the rich young ruler was he wasn't willing to make a false profession. 
many today probably would make a false profession, but he wasn't willing to do that. Now, obviously, he miscalculated. The Lord went on to tell him that if he would have given his life to the Lord, that he would have been rewarded 100-fold. And so he obviously missed that. You know, he was wrong in the choice that he made, but nevertheless, he refused to make a false profession. And that's really what Joshua is, is underscoring to the people here. God is very gracious and very merciful, but at the same time, very demanding. God is very demanding. Some people, uh, some preachers, I'm sure, wouldn't challenge a decision. <laughs> They'd be very happy to have a decision. Joshua's not like that. Um, you know, not Joshua's not interested in, in just putting another notch on his on his belt of conversions or dedications. No, he wants to make sure that he'd he'd, have, he'd rather have one sincere commitment to the Lord than a hundred false professions to the Lord, rather than, rather than have a lot of people mouth the words who who don't really mean it. He underscores his point. He says, "God is a jealous God." I, I think Pastor's illustration that he's used. Several times is a perfect illustration where he was witnessing to someone and, and they, were, they were willing to embrace Jesus until he told them that they had to renounce all other gods. And then they had a different attitude. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the idea here that Josh was telling them. God is a jealous God. It, it has to be him and no one else. It can't be him and, and you know, he's not, he's not willing to share himself. I like the way Dale Ralph Davis puts it, one of the commentaries that I have been using. He says, God is not a soft, cuddly Santa in the sky who drools over easy decisions before invitational hymns. He says, too many of us, too many of us perjure ourselves as we sing, I surrender all. There are some stanzas in some hymns that I dare not sing. And I know exactly what he's talking about. There's songs in our songbook that are very difficult for me to sing. You know, we have number 178 that says we'll go walking through the flames with the Son of God. Really? How many of us would do that? How many of us would, would go walking through the flames like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What about number 79? This is probably the one that's the most difficult for me. Lord, send me anywhere. Lay any burden on me. It's usually just the opposite. We're praying and pleading with the Lord to take the burden away. We're not usually proclaiming to the Lord, lay any burden on me. I can handle it. And that's what Joshua's doing with these people. He's saying, this is serious stuff. Don't just make a light commitment that you don't mean, that you don't intend to follow through on. And I'm reminded of this every year around Christmas. You know, you can turn on the television and you will see all kinds of celebrities singing Christmas songs that don't have the slightest idea what they mean. You can find all of your half-dressed musicians singing joy to the world, let earth receive her king. They don't want Jesus as king, but they're perfectly willing to sing the songs and sell the records and make millions off of all of the, the Christmas carols. But they, they don't have the slightest idea what they're saying. They have no intentions of making Jesus their king. We have many today who make marriage vows with real no intent of commitment. 
They, they don't take those things seriously. So all of this, Joshua is reminding these people that they have got to make a choice and they, they, they need to mean it. That, that, you know, this is a serious decision. Matthew 6.24, Jesus says, No man can serve two masters. Of course, we're, we're aware of that. He says, You cannot serve God and mammon, money. In verse number 20, Joshua describes the Lord's jealousy. He, he, he again goes on to, to emphasize the point that God will not tolerate serving other gods. He will come down hard on you. He will destroy you. He will consume you, as it says there. He did that to the prior inhabitants of the land. Notice the last part of the verse, after that he hath done you good. You know, that that's reminding them that even though the Lord has been very good to them, they shouldn't presume the Lord's goodness. Certainly in light of the fact if they forsake him and serve other gods. Yes, God has been good. God has been wonderful. But they need to make sure that they see God as their judge, not just their protector or their provider. And that's certainly something that we need to keep in mind. The people come back and, you know, they, they don't waver in their commitment. In verse 21, they say, yes, we will. Yeah, we, we really mean it. They, they're insisting. And I, I think as we read the remainder of the chapter, you know, I, I think they did mean it. They were sincere. Um, the, the account is that they did remain faithful. We, you know, if we were to go to the book of Judges, chapter 2, verse 10, the very next generation, they, you know, the Bible says they didn't know the Lord. And they, they turned and, and went after the other gods. But this generation, they, they remained faithful throughout the, under the leadership of Joshua. We're familiar with Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. Jesus explains the parable. He says, some of the seed fell by the wayside. The wicked ones snatched it away. Some of the seed fell among stony places. It was received with joy, but there was no root. When persecution arose, they were offended. Some fell among thorns. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choked out the word and became and they became unfruitful. And then, of course, the last part: the the seed. Some of the seed fell into good ground. Seed fell into good ground, where those that heard it brought forth fruit of varying degrees. And. Um, you know, the, the, the last group, the fourth group, uh, is the minority. You know, the first three groups are the majority. That's very clear throughout the New Testament. There are going to be many more who, you know, follow the, the wide gate and very few that go the narrow route. On the other hand, um, we know that people stumble. Um, People who make sincere decisions for the Lord also stumble. We know Peter essentially said these same words, God forbid that I would ever deny the Lord, and then he did that very thing. And yet, you know, he was recovered. And so we certainly don't want to conclude that those that stumble have necessarily made a false profession of faith. On the other hand, if you have a lifestyle and a pattern of running from the Lord and going in the complete opposite direction than that the Lord would have you, you might do well. You might be wise to question your salvation. 
Verse number 22, Joshua reminds them that their words have been recorded, that their own words will be used against them if, if they fail to live by them. And, and they certainly acknowledge that. They, they understand that they are, their, they are witnesses against themselves. Their own words are going to be used to be able to call them into account and to question them. Verse number 23, Joshua explains to them that the next step is for them to remove everything from their lives that will interfere with their keeping the promise. That's what the words there put away mean. We would do well to evaluate our own lives and and, uh, determine which of those things are interfering with our relationship with the Lord and which of those things that we should remove in order to have a better relationship with the Lord. He also tells them there in verse number 23 that they need to open their hearts to receive God's instruction, which will allow them to serve Him wholeheartedly. And we, we need to do that. I mean, when we, when, we, when we study God's Word, we need to study it with an open heart that you know, allows God's Spirit to work through us and make those changes in our life that are needed. This goes back and forth. Again, we see in verse number 24, the people again declare their intention to be faithful and obedient. Um, I, think in, through, I think in verses 16 through 24, I think the people have given sufficient reason to, for us to believe that their, their commitment was to the Lord. It wasn't to just a man. Um, and of course, Joshua doesn't want that. He doesn't want them just saying this because, you know, they think this is what Joshua wants them to hear. He wants them to be sincere about this. He wants their commitment to be to the Lord, not to him. If our commitment's to a man, well, then when the man's gone, there goes our commitment. And, you know, we, we have the, this chapter's full of the man being gone. <laughs> we have Joshua dying. We have the bones of Joseph being buried. We have Eliezer dying. That's what men do. They die. But our commitment to the Lord, the Lord doesn't die. And so if our commitment is to the Lord, then you know it goes on, even though those, are, those people are removed from us. Like I said, I think there's sufficient evidence the way they have formulated their response that their commitment is to the Lord. It isn't to any one man. It isn't to Joshua. It isn't merely to Joshua. In verse number 25, it says that Joshua made a covenant with the people that day. And he called them to this place, Shechem. That's going back to verse 1. They're there in the, the place of Shechem. That, is, uh, that has a lot of historical significance. God had initially made his covenant with Abraham here. And God had renewed his covenant with Jacob here in Shechem. And Joshua had already called the people to a renewal of this covenant over 20 years earlier in Shechem, back in Joshua chapter 8. So there's a lot of historical significance here. In verse number 26, the words of the, the response of the people is recorded in a book so that there cannot be any doubt about what they had said years later. And it is, I find it very beneficial to write things down. I work for a company that's headquartered in, you know, a thousand miles away. 
and um, you know it presents its challenges but I've also discovered that that there are a lot of advantages to that um, a lot of conversations that I have with people at the headquarters are done through email and so there is thorough documentation about the things that we discuss, which is very helpful when we need to go back later on and, and remember what it was that we agreed to and how something was going to be done. And I have, I have really noticed the benefit of that. You know, if I was in Houston and I was able to just walk over to a person's desk and have a face-to-face -face conversation with them, well, there are some benefits to that. But one of the disadvantages to that is a lot of times I'd get back to my desk and I'd say, now what in the world did we talk about? What did we say? What did we agree to? And so the fact that a lot of it takes place through email has really been beneficial. I have, you know, really thorough documentation. That's what Joshua does here. He writes this stuff down so there isn't going to be any doubt. Now, people aren't going to be able to come back here. Well, I'm not really sure I agreed to that. <laughs> I'm not really sure that I agreed to, you know, exclusive, ex exclusive worship of just one God. No, they, that's, it's recorded. And there's a memorial set up. This is the seventh monument that we have in the book of Joshua. The seventh monument of stone since they've entered the land. And he takes a great stone and he sets it up under an oak tree. And uh, if, you, if you go back and do a little bit of research on the oak tree... We are told in Genesis 35, verse 4, that Jacob buried the idols that he had confiscated from the people under an oak tree approximately 300 years earlier. And it's possible this is the same oak tree. I know in Council Bluffs there are numerous oak trees that are well over 300 years old, fir oak trees. If you go all the way back to the time of Abraham. Abraham's covenant was made with God among the oaks of Mamre. Um, that's 400 and some years before this. Still very possible that it's the same oak tree. I mean, there, there could be very historical significance to this particular oak tree. I did a little research Online and uh, there are many oak trees in Israel today that are over 2,000 years old that are 20 feet in circumference. Trees that were alive at the time when the Lord walked through that land. And so for these trees to have survived only three or 400 years later from the time the original covenant was made, really not a stretch of the imagination at all. So there's a lot of significance here in in Shechem. Matthew Henry points out that the fact that the verse 26 ends with by the sanctuary of the Lord, he doesn't believe they would have used that terminology if they hadn't brought the Ark of the Covenant there. I'm not, I'm not sure about that, but I, I thought that was interesting. That, uh, you know, Joshua was, his, his point being that Joshua was very much inclined to to make sure that, that the Lord's presence was among them and that the people would re recognize and realize the seriousness of the occasion. In verse number 27, Joshua explains the memorial. He reminds them of the importance of documenting and memorializing this commitment to the covenant. And, you know, those things are a help. They, they, they would be a help to the people as they would see those things years later and they would... Uh, 
you know, see that stone and, and maybe there was something inscribed or written on that stone, it would be, it would be a very good reminder to them as to the commitment that they had made. And then in verse 28, Joshua just tells them to get on with their lives. I mean, that's, that's the point. You know, you've made a commitment, now go live it out. Go see that your day-to-day life demonstrates, your actions demonstrate the words that you have spoken. Verses 29 through 33, we see that Joshua dies at the age of 110. And Joseph also died at the age of 110. As, as we were kind of uh, looking at in the very first week of this study of the book of Joshua, the, the book began with a funeral, the funeral of Moses, and it ends here with three funerals, the funerals of Joshua, J- Joseph, and, and Eliezer. And um, the the first chapter, uh, the very first verse, Joshua one one tells us that Moses was the servant of the Lord. Notice what we have here in verse twenty nine. Joshua was the servant of the Lord. What a compliment to um, end your life, you know. And that's the the words that are spoken about you that you are. You know, that's what you're known for having been, the servant of the Lord. We know many don't finish strong. We could go to the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, and, you know, man, there are numerous people which it is said they did evil all the days of their life, you know, that their life was categorized by turning from the Lord. And yet Joshua here is, is called the servant of the Lord. I think of George Mueller. I mean, obviously, we could, I'm sure, name many examples. But if you've ever read the the story of George Mueller, it seems that you know he died at 92, and it's kind of the same type of deal. That you know he just was enthusiastic and and eager to serve the Lord every day of his life. Of course, that should be all of our desire. You know, when we when we when it's our time, it will be said of us, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant." Verse number 30, he's buried in the place that he had requested, that he had been given. And then verse 31 is where we have a commentary on this generation. It says, And all Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua, and all the days of the elders that that overlived Joshua, or outlived Joshua, and which had known all the works of the Lord. Many of these would have been children at the time they left Egypt. They would have witnessed many of the the miracles that that were done while they wandered in the wilderness they those that were were you know children at the time of the exodus would have witnessed the parting of the red sea they have a long history of being able to witness the the faithfulness of the lord and the miraculous things and ways in which the lord provided for them and you know i think implied there uh, you know the 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 way this is worded in verse 31, you know, as being specific to this generation uh, is implied, you know, that the next generation, that certainly wasn't the case. And again, that's why I said, you merely turn just a page or two to the book of Judges, and that's that's the whole point. You know, the next generation didn't know the Lord and didn't have a desire to follow the Lord and didn't didn't know about all of the things that the Lord had done for them. But this generation was faithful. And... You know, they they um, were the beneficiaries of some good godly leaders. And, and, you know, you don't want to underestimate the value of that. 
You, you want to make sure you appreciate the leaders in your life that have demonstrated good godly leadership and you know endeavor to do the same for others. People will be able to look at you and say, you know, that was that was a good influence on my life. That was a a good godly leader that that you know steered me in the right direction. And you know, I that's the point here. I mean, that's that's what Joshua did. Joshua provided that kind of leadership that was able to be influential in the lives of other people. And that's that's what Paul says to Timothy: be an example to the other believers. You know. Not just you know, don't just go preach the word, but live out the word. That was that was Paul's encouragement to Timothy. Verse number thirty-two: Joseph's bones were buried in the land that had been given to his two sons. Uh, turn back to Genesis chapter fifty. I think it's really beneficial to look at this. Genesis chapter fifty: Joseph had made this request that his bones would be carried to the land of promise and buried there. And so they have now been carrying around these bones for hundreds of years. We don't really know exactly why they waited as long as they did to bury them. They've been in the land now for 27 years seven years of conquest and then probably two decades of, of rest. Um, and it appears that, you know, that, that they wait until Joshua is, you know, giving his farewell address. And maybe that was part of the reason. Maybe that was one of the reasons that Joshua had called them to this particular location because this was the place where he was going to eulogize Joseph and bury his bones. Um, but, you know, they're making a big deal out of this. Uh, we don't want to really just look at it as extraneous information that's given us there. I mean, this this is a big deal. Notice this Genesis, notice Genesis chapter 50, verse 25. It says, And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from the hence. God will surely visit you. There was no doubt in Joseph's mind that they were going to get to the promised land someday. No doubt. God will surely visit you. God will surely deliver on His promises. Turn back to Genesis 48. Genesis chapter 48, verse 21. This is Jacob speaking. And Israel said unto Joseph, Behold, I die, but God shall be with you and bring you again unto the land of your fathers. He says the same thing Joseph said. Joseph said, Surely God will visit you. Jacob says, God will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Look at verse 15 of chapter 48. And he blessed Joseph and said, God whom, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God who fed, who fed me all my life long unto this day. So Jacob and Joseph recognized the faithfulness of the Lord. And we really don't want to miss that. Jacob's 147 years old when he dies, and Joseph's 110 years old when he dies. 
And their attitude isn't, you know, I lived my whole life and I never got to see the promise of God fulfilled, so, you know, God must not be very faithful. That wasn't their attitude at all. Their attitude was, you know, I lived my whole life and I didn't get to see the promises of God fulfilled, but they're going to be fulfilled. Future gener- a future generation will, will see the fulfillment of God's promise. They were just as, they were at least as confident in God's faithfulness at the end of their life as they were at, the, at, any, at any point during their life. I would probably make the argument based on these verses that we just looked at more so. And when they died, they were more confident that God was faithful and that God was going to keep His promises, even though they didn't, they didn't get to see Him. And so, you know, when you get to Joshua 24, and, you know, they are telling us that, and, and by the way, turn back to Joshua 24. When we get to Joshua 24, verse 32, and, and, and they're telling us that they buried Joseph's bones there. We're not given that information because it's important for us to know what happened to Joseph. We're given that information because it's important for us to know that God is faithful. God delivered on His promises. Um, you know, we have three funerals here: the funerals of Joshua, Joseph, and Eliezer. But where, where do all three of the funerals take place? In the land. They're not. They're not being buried in Egypt. They're not being buried in the wilderness that they wandered in for 40 years. They're being buried in the land, in the promised land. And so, you know, I mean, if we if we've seen anything throughout the book of Joshua, I mean, I think the whole point of the of certainly chapter 24 and the whole book is that God is faithful. God is faithful. He delivers on His promises, and that's that's what we see here. All right, we are done. We have a couple of minutes if anybody has a comment or, or anything they want to contribute. Just have a few minutes.